I can tell you this from personal experience that crying babies don't usually lower the tension in the room. <laughs> but it is at this point, being in church every day almost, every Sunday my entire life, hearing every Christmas message and hearing every Christmas phrase there is, that somebody would point out that it is easy to miss the real meaning of Christmas. Luke chapter 2, verse 14, one of the greatest verses about Christmas is on display, and it sheds some light on to what is often missed about the real meaning of Christmas. The angels declare it, the angels declare it to the shepherds to go find Jesus in the manger, and this is their response in Luke chapter 2. Greg, if you put that verse up for me. In Luke chapter 2 is this, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. This month, we're going to break that down, and we're going to break down that verse together. And so let's just practice this, because we're going to do this a couple times this month, four times to be exact. And let's just say this verse together, okay? Luke 2, 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, I wondered if you would actually continue. The part we're going to focus on today is the goodwill part, the goodwill towards men. We live in such a violent and horrible world, and that's not even including Black Friday. In the 1940s, the world saw some of the worst of humanity. There were pictures from the 1940s that I would not feel comfortable in this forum putting up on the the, the screen because they're just so violent and disgusting. They're too gruesome in, for this room. People were rounded up in Europe in the 1940s. People were murdered in the streets in European cities. People were put into camps where they were starved to death in Europe in the 1940s. All because of their racial identity. identity. All because they, were the, they spoke the wrong language. All because it was ethnic cleansing at its best. And at first, if you know your history, you're starting to think, well, 1940s, well, that's World War II, ethnic cleansing. You're thinking that as I'm speaking, I'm probably talking about the Jewish Holocaust that took place. That people were killed by a government in their own country and by the government of that country. And if you're thinking that I'm talking about the Jewish Holocaust, you would be wrong. You see, the people in Europe that I'm talking about the people in the 1940s, well, this took place in 1945. At the end of World War II, these people were German people. And over 50,000 people in Poland and Czechoslovakia in 1945, in June and July of 1945, were murdered at the end of world, after World War II. They were murdered on streets and taken up and lined up and shot. They were put in camps of concentration and they were starved to death. 10, 20, 30,000 in one particular camp in Poland died. Their crime, their crime was they were German. Their crime was they spoke German. Their crime was they had a German last name. And see, the people doing this, well, see, the people doing this thought, well, look what the Germans did. This is payback. And even if those people didn't do it themselves, right, they're still German, and so we're going to get back at the Germans, and we're just going to kill other Germans, even though they didn't do it. You know what the odd fact of that is? The, the oddity inside that? That's the exact same logic Hitler used. 
Jewish bankers sold us out in World War I and they stabbed Germany in the back. And therefore, all Jews are guilty. And you know what's even worse? Many of the people, the person who headed up the concentration camp where 20, 30, 40,000 Germans died, was a Jew. It was simply payback time. That's how the world operates. And in the history of the world, there is no ethnic group, there is no nation, there is nobody with clean hands. The world is full of violence and hatred. And at some point, the loop of hatred has to stop. You see, if you know your Bible, you know that there's going to be a, well, there's going to be a one world government headed out of the European Union. And you can see Germany as the head of that European Union. And it would not be, because Europe, Europeans have longer memories than we do. It would not be odd to see people from this German area say, well, it's time to pay them back for 1945. I asked our men's group that uh, we met uh, yesterday, and I said, you know why you don't know this story? Because none of those Germans make movies. And it wasn't broadcasted. At some point, the violence, the hatred has to stop. And I'm not just talking about nations. I'm talking about you and your family. There's a cycle of hatred that's gotten into it. Somebody paid somebody back, and then somebody has to be paid back, and someone else is being paid back. And you know what I'm describing here? I'm describing the typical American marriage. At some point, someone has to forgive. Our Luke 2.14 thought is this, the teaching that we're going to look at today, if you're taking notes. Jesus brought the gift of forgiveness to a hateful world. He brought the gift of forgiveness for, to a hateful world. That's what salvation is. Salvation is you being forgiven of your sin. Oh, let me be more theologically correct. You being forgiven because you are a sinner. Do you understand that you're not a sinner because you sin? You sin because you are a sinner. And that sin debt was passed on to every individual that's been born. You were conceived born and breathed your first breath as a sinner. And a debt to God, not the devil, a debt to God had to be paid, and that's why God sent Jesus to die on the cross. And when you accept Christ as your personal Savior, that sin debt has been wiped out and you have been forgiven. Say amen. amen. And now it is your responsibility to take that forgiveness and give it to somebody else. And see, if you're struggling today as I hit this concept of forgiving other people, if you're struggling with this concept, could I ask you to examine your heart and maybe the fact remains you can't give away something you don't have? There is no such thing as an unforgiving Christian. See, the word that we're looking at here in the verse, the word goodwill, well, in the original language it means to will, a choice, to kindly intent. Because forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice you have to make. So many things we think we're, we're locked into. That, well, I don't. Let me tell you, there's a lot of things that are choices. Love is a choice. There's no one on this planet you can't love. You say, well, I don't love my husband. I don't love my wife. We're going to get divorced and everything else like that. Um, we call that Monday morning. Uh, but anyways, no. Every marriage goes through those periods. There's nobody on this planet you can't choose to love. There's also no one on this planet you can't choose to forgive. Who do I need to forgive? 
I'm gonna give you three things as we start today, who you need to forgive. Number one, today, forgive those from my past. Well, I won't do it unless they apologize. Can I just say this? Why do you want an apology? Apologies are the worst. They're mostly lies. They're things people say when they get caught to try to persuade you from not sending them to jail or giving them what they deserve. Why do you want an apology? The Bible doesn't say forgive, turn the other cheek, only when they ask for forgiveness. You are commanded to forgive. Listen, here's the thing, too, about this, people that you need to forgive from your past, they don't even need to be alive. Here's another great thing. They don't even need to be in the room with you. Write a letter. Don't mail it. Sit down at an empty chair. Express how this person hurt you and just get it off your chest and then say, I forgive you. Now, listen to me. Forgiveness is a journey. It may take you a month. It may take you a week. It may take you a year. It may take you a lifetime to forgive somebody of some of the horrific things that people do to each other. But at some point, at some place in your life, you got to start the path. Today, you got to forgive people. Number two, those in my present. What makes Jesus amazing, his forgiveness so amazing, and his grace is amazing, but his forgiveness is also amazing. What makes Jesus so amazing is his ability to forgive. Here's the thing. Everyone in here has a line, an amount that you will forgive, right? Somebody, uh, you're shopping, you're at the mall, and they take your parking spot, and it's the last one. And thank God you don't have your conceal and carry because there'd be one less idiot on the road, right? Right? You have a line. That's a very short line. Other people, you can have people stab you in the back. You can have things happen to you, and you still forgive. You look the other way. You turn the other cheek. Everything else. How far down your line is, that's how spiritual you are. Well, I love Jesus, but I don't forgive. I don't know if you know Jesus then, but I can tell you this right now. You're not a very forgiving person. Amen? I'm walking with God, Pastor Steve. I'm a Christ follower. Well, let me, let me judge you on that factor by how far along the line you will forgive people. And lastly, number three, probably the hardest, I need to forgive myself. Um, this is really the hardest one, I think. This is the one where people spend so much time, energy, money, and therapy. You screwed it up, and it's you that can't let it go. If you ask for forgiveness from God, let me just tell you this. little I don't think this is a secret. If you have asked for forgiveness from God, he forgave you. But it's you that's still holding on to it. The Apostle Paul, greatest Christian in the Bible, right? Um, New Testament wrote so much of it. The Apostle Paul was a murderer. Had children and families dragged out of their home, had them murdered and everything. He did some horrible things became, before he came to know Christ as his personal Savior. What was Paul's recipe, prescription for dealing with this and forgiving himself? Well, in Philippians 3.13, he said this. Put that verse up there for me, Greg. Is it there? There you go. Philippians 3.13, he said this. The murderer said this, right? Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me, Reaching forth into the things which are before, I put all this aside. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There are three things Paul did, and I'm not going to elaborate. I'm just going to give them to you. Paul moved forward. 
you're just stuck there in that moment. You're stuck in that mistake from 1974. You're stuck in that thing. And yeah, sometimes your wife, sometimes your husband, sometimes your mother-in-law reminds you somebody's always there to let you know. God says move forward. Paul became focused on Jesus. I need to be careful because I don't want to be flippant about psychological and depression or anything else. But so much of those issues and psychological problems and depression are because we focused on today, we're focused on what didn't happen, we're focused on these things. May I suggest to you, so much of us would be able to get off some of our medication if we started to focus on Jesus. When your focus is on Jesus, all you see is forgiveness and grace. When your focus is on you, you see mistakes and problems and screw-ups and, and, and somebody who did something horrible at some point. And lastly, Paul worked towards the future. Don't stay where you're at. Get in, you want to know a great way to stop thinking about all these things you've done wrong in a great way? Get involved in a ministry. Get involved in helping little kids and helping boys and girls. Get involved in other people. Start to serve God, and this is what will happen. You'll be too busy serving God to be worried about yourself. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, God hasn't forgotten this. The Bible says that God takes our sin and he takes all these things and he drops them in the sea of forgiveness. He throws them as far as the east is to the west to be remembered no more. God has forgotten it. Move on. Now, you cannot give what you have not experienced. So I can't give this away until I've actually accepted what Christ did on the cross for me personally and I've been forgiven of my sin. The, one of the greatest gifts that Jesus gives is forgiveness. And then I can go to people who have wronged me, hurt me, stabbed me in the back. Let me just stop for a second here. Let me remind you. Forgiveness and restoration are not the same. You are commanded to forgive. I always have to say this because in a room like this, there's probably somebody who has something that was done to them just horrifically. Sometimes criminal acts were done to them. You need to forgive that person, but I'm not saying invite them back to Christmas again. You don't need to restore them back into their life. The only people who are commanded to restore is the church. We are actually supposed to restore a brother, Galatians 6, 1. We're supposed to restore a brother that falls in sin. We don't just hope they go on to another church and maybe become a Methodist. We're supposed to restore them. So using Luke's gospel this month, turn over to Luke chapter 23. And we're going to see amazing forgiveness on display. We're going to see amazing forgiveness on display. And I want to hit something. I, I want to be clear. And if I need to talk more, because I don't want to bring any confusion to you on this. So if we need to talk later, I'll be glad to talk with you. But in Luke chapter 23, we're going to head to the cross. We head to the cross because here's a statement that might confuse somebody. The cross is the true tree of Christmas. Do you understand? The cross is the true tree of Christmas. And what I'm afraid of saying that sometimes is somebody might think, well, Pastor, you're, you're trying to say that we shouldn't have Christmas trees in our home and we shouldn't have them on display. Hello. It's not what I'm saying at all. But listen, Bethlehem was only the beginning of Jesus. It was not his purpose. The purpose of Jesus was the cross of Jesus Christ, was the cruel Roman cross that he died on. So here we come to Luke 23 and verse 32. I must confess, as I went through this, I, I looked at so many clips and revisited the passion of the Christ. And there were times I wanted to show this because there's not words to really demonstrate what Jesus went through and how horrible it was on the cross. And maybe I was wrong, and if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. 
I, I chose not to use any of those images or videos because I thought, man, I don't know if we're going to have kids in the room. I don't know how shocking this is. You cannot fully grasp how much Jesus looked more like a piece of meat than he did a man at this point. Whipped and beaten, crowned. Here he is, beaten, bloody, and dying. Jesus on the cross. And watch forgiveness, amazing forgiveness, take place in verse 23. And there was also two other malefactors led with him to put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, they were crucified, they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right and one on the left, Matthew and Mark call them robbers. Some speculate that they were part of Barabbas. Remember, they released Barabbas instead of Jesus. They might have actually been part of Barabbas' group. We don't know that later on. But we will see here that both of them join in with the crowd and start to mock Jesus. There is no honor amongst thieves, is there? Do you see the sickness of sin? The sickness of sin that blinds people and will not allow them to forgive? Then Jesus puts amazing forgiveness on display in verse 34. I want to say this. I hope you don't judge me too harshly. I don't think I would say this. My Irish blood would come up and I would cast down lightning bolts on them. That's why Jesus was Jewish and not Irish. Or Italian, because you people are crazy too. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. Wow. As I read this verse, can I just ask you this question as we read this? You can't forgive your sister-in-law? Because she made comments at Thanksgiving about your yams? No. For they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and they cast lots. In the midst of one of the greatest evils, and maybe the greatest evil ever done on this earth, Jesus offers forgiveness. This is only my opinion. I have no Bible to back it up. I believe, though, that there on the cross, as Jesus said, forgive him, because those people that were mocking him, yes, they were Roman soldiers, but the overwhelming group of them were Jews that were there. I believe that many of these people sitting there, out there mocking Jesus, and Jesus says, Father, forgive them, will be some of the same Jews in just a few weeks in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, that will get saved. I believe that, that, that God's grace moved on them, that their eyes were open, and they experienced true forgiveness of their sins in Acts chapter 2. But they did not appreciate what was being done for them on the cross. Verse 35. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also knew them, derided them, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. Doesn't that sound a lot like uh, comments your mother-in-law makes? Doesn't that sound a lot like something that your ex-wife would say to you? He saved others. Ha, ha, ha. Why doesn't he just save himself? If he be the Christ, the chosen of God, they're saying if he is God, if he is the one, then come down off the cross. And they don't see what they're actually saying. If Jesus had come down off the cross, he wouldn't have been God. Because he would have ruined everything on the cross. He would have ruined the meaning of Christmas. He would have ruined the purpose of the 33 years. He would have ruined the, the symbolism of all the miracles he performed. He would have ruined the testimony of Lazarus when he said, Lazarus, come forth in Luke chapter 11. He would have ruined everything. He stays up on that cross for us. How? Why? Let's return to the thieves and skip down to verse 39. Something happens between 35 and 39. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. And one of the malefactors, 
which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save, save thyself and us. I love how he includes himself in that. In verse 40, but the other, remember, they both were at the beginning, weren't they? Something happened while Jesus is on the cross, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? I don't know what changed this young man's mind. This is my own personal thought. This is how I always see it. I see Jesus on the cross, and on his left side is the, the malefactor who's, who's screaming profanities. And this guy is a career criminal, uh, beaten as a child, maybe grew up as a street kid or anything. He's a career-hardened criminal who would think nothing of murdering you for $5. He is one bad dude. But on his right is another guy. In my mind, I always, this is my mind, not Bible. In my mind, I always see him younger than this hardened criminal. In my mind, he's a kid who was raised in a good home. If we were to put it today, he was raised in church. This is a kid who went to Sunday school class. This is the kid who, whose mom taught him lessons when he was a child. This is a kid who had a good dad. But for somewhere along the way, he never truly caught it. And yet he went out in the world and rebelled against all that God stuff. Why do I think that? Look at the words he uses. Dost thou not fear God? That's something somebody who knew something about the Bible would say. That's somebody who was trained about who God is. And he uses a word here. Thou art in the same condemnation. And I think somewhere on that cross, isn't it amazing you run from God and you end up running into him? Remember Onesimus, the slave who leaves Philemon and steals and runs away because he wants nothing to do with this Jesus stuff and ends up in a, in a Roman prison chained up to the Apostle Paul? Here this young man who wanted nothing to do, I'm, I'm, I'm going into my opinion, this young man who wanted nothing to do with the God of his parents and the family he was raised in and all that Jesus and church stuff and everything else. And he runs from God and the Messiah and everything. And he gets involved in a bad crowd and everything. And he finds himself paying for it. And who is he next to? He's next to Jesus. Now at 11 o'clock, I'm going to emphasize this to our students a lot. I'm going to emphasize that there's nothing in the world that's better than Jesus. Jesus would never treat you the same way the world would treat you. You'll never regret serving God. And many of our young people go out into the world and they come back, but some of them don't. Some of them come back with scars, habits, addictions, personal problems. But watch the forgiveness on display. This is what I love about Jesus. If you're here and you're thinking, you know, I could never get saved, I could never come, or if I'm a believer, if I got my life right, no, nobody... God could never love someone like me. If I came into church, the roof would fall down. Look, look what Jesus is talking. This guy was just taunting Jesus on the cross just as well. Look at how Jesus responds to him. This is my Jesus. Amazing forgiveness. In verse 41, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, see, he had training. He knew. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Again, Somebody who wasn't raised around God, didn't know anything. This person knew everything. Let me just say this to you. In the future, God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom will be physical. It'll be here on earth. It'll be a thousand-year reign that we often call the millennium after the seven-year tribulation. It will be here. But today, Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God, is spiritual. Anyone in here who's saved, anyone in here who's forgiven is part of the kingdom of God. Say amen if you're part of the kingdom. Amen. There you go. Watch Jesus in verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, yeah, I don't think so. You've done too much. 
this is really too bad. I mean, there's a, even a limit to how much I'll forgive. He said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Can I give you a little theological moment here? He didn't say heaven. Paradise is not heaven. Uh, if you check out Luke chapter 16, we find out there's a two-compartment place. And in this two-compartment place called Hades, one side is called place Jesus called hell. Another side is a place called paradise. When Jesus died on the cruel Roman cross here in just a few seconds, he will not die and go to hell. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Uh, by the way, this, this is what some of our word of faith teachers teach, like Joyce Meyer and, and Joel Olstein. You say, Pastor Steve, why do you? Because that is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible paid for my sins on the cross. If you start saying that Jesus paid for our sins in hell, you are, walking, you are in heresy, flat out. He did not go there. Jesus went to a place called paradise. Look at Luke chapter 16 where it's called Abraham's bosom. And three days later, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, verse 8, that Jesus, when he left paradise, took those that were with him and took him to heaven. For those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ today, we are New Testament believers. It is a different dispensation. So for the Bible, it says, absent from the body is present with the Lord. You leave this planet today, you go straight to heaven. When David closed his eyes and left this planet, he went to a place called paradise with Abraham. And by the way, that other compartment, hell, is not the eternal resting place. Satan has never been there. Satan will never be there. Then you'll check out the end of the book, and we'll see the people that are in hell are brought forward in Revelation chapter 20 at the great white throne. And whoever's name was not found in the, ma the, the book of life was then cast into another place, the lake of fire. That is Satan's eternal destination. That is the Antichrist and the false prophet's eternal destination. You didn't know you were getting a theological lesson, did you? Jesus came to church. But this, think about this thief. There's people in heaven, and one of them is this man I want to meet. Here he is. Think about this. He dies on the cross. He, he should have died days later, but they broke his legs, and he dies. He's forgiven. Jesus saves him. He dies, and he's there just right behind Jesus in paradise. And then three days later, he's out of paradise, and he's in heaven. What an amazing story this man probably had. And you know what his story is about? His story is a story of forgiveness. So Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Let's say it again. And let's rethink this idea. Luke 2, 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. How can we have good will toward men if it doesn't come from forgiveness? And the only amazing forgiveness you will ever have is the amazing forgiveness of Jesus. So here's three things as we end this about amazing forgiveness. Number one, amazing forgiveness demands repayment to others. At the Lord's Prayer, Jesus will say, and forgive our debts as we forgive others. Your inability to forgive others is keeping God from forgiving you. In fact, if you have a problem with another brother and sister in Christ, God's not hearing your prayers and he doesn't want your worship. He wants you to take care of this. He wants you to turn the other cheek. You know that part about turning the other cheek? He meant it. Number two, amazing forgiveness absolves reprisals to myself. Jesus has forgiven you. Do you doubt him? Be like Paul. Move forward. Have a new purpose. Here's the crazy thing. I say that, that Jesus forgives you. There's something innate in our sin nature that loves religion. And if we did some sort of religious act, all right, for some of you here, well, let's just do it. 
just pretend I'm, I'm wearing a funny hat and a woman's dress and stuff. So there we go. Allah, you are forgiven. Hail to the victors, foe is great. We know Ohio State is evil. There you are, go and be fair. I don't know, did that help? It's been on my mind a lot. Can I give you something better than my little silly thing? God's word. Romans 8.1. If you have trouble struggling with this, God says to forgive yourself. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Hey, that word condemnation, that sounds familiar. One of the same words that that thief on the cross used. The best Christmas present is forgiveness. Forgiveness to go in peace. And lastly, number three. Amazing forgiveness ultimately reflects to Jesus. Do you understand that uh, he is the light of the world, he is the sun, and we are the moon? The moon doesn't create light. The moon only reflects the light off the sun. And we're supposed to reflect back Jesus to this world, and how can we do that if we're reflecting back an image of unforgiveness? I don't know why you won't come to Jesus and be forgiven of your sins. Oh, by the way, I haven't yet forgiven my child for how they've treated me in the past. We wonder why we have so little people accepting the free gift of Jesus when they're not seeing it on display. This happened in the, the news. Throw this up here, Greg. It's just a, a cover page of an article. Um, this young man, a believer in Jesus Christ, just felt God had led him to go to this uh, tribe in this island area, this remote area in India, off the coast of India. And uh, they're supposed to be left alone, and they kill strangers and foreigners. By the way, why, is it so, why does it seem so compassionate to let these people live in you know, 2000 B.C. and not expose them to medicine? I, it seems like a crazy idea, but anyways. So he felt like he would bring Jesus to them, and uh, he went to that island. Was, it's actually against the law, and he did that. A lot of people, it's interesting, a lot of people who thought, well, they, he got what he deserved are the same people who think anybody should be allowed to come in this country. But uh, he went there, and he was murdered by them. They killed him. And that's kind of what they said they would do, and he went there. And the part of the story that is just so fascinating to me is that days after it was discovered he was murdered, this is NBC's website, I chose them, is that their family announced that they forgive the people that killed him. See, you're still mad at your daughter's second grade teacher because she didn't get the part in the play. Holding on to a lot of stuff. And their son was killed and they chose to forgive the people that murdered their son. See, what's the greatest form of evangelism? Is when we model forgiveness. You know, as someone said something to me recently, and it's bothered me because it's so true. They listed off all these things that were happening and doing and stuff like this. And he said, and all these people are Christians, right? And this is how they act, and this is the way they... Materialism, unforgiven, bitterness, and, and they're all Christians, right? Yeah, I guess they claim to be. The greatest proof that Jesus is who he said he was is how we forgive other people, how we forgive ourselves, how we reflect forgiveness to a lost and dying world. We will only know goodwill towards men when we start to take the amazing forgiveness that Jesus gave us and gave to the rest of the world.
this week I had a crazy week. It's one of those things, month, beginning of the month, a whole bunch of things just fell on this. And uh, I got asked to do a funeral in Rochester. You don't know these people. Uh, but I've made a policy of it that I'll do any funeral, I'll do any wedding. And as long as I can talk about Jesus, you don't have to pay me and stuff. And uh, this funeral home took me up on it. They stiffed me. But anyway, so I went and did it and met with the family on Monday and then drove all the way down there again on Tuesday and stuff like that. And, uh, it was a nice funeral, a nice Christian lady, and she'd survived most of her friends, and she was in a nursing home and for the last four or five years and stuff like that. It was really neat. It was amazing for me is uh, I did not realize the three children, her three adult children who are all older than me, uh, during the time and testimonial time announced that they were all three adopted from separate families. And that was the day Sander had told me, December 14th. And I thought, wow, that's a really nice thing to see that this can work. I needed to hear that, God. Thank you. But you know, at funerals, I have, because of this policy, I've gone to some crazy places. And uh, one of the things I went to in Illinois, uh, a young lady, um, she was about 35 or so, and for about 10 or 15 years in her life, she was in some wild stuff and uh, uh, drug addiction and everything else like that, and uh, had some children by different men and stuff like this. Well, last three years or so, she got her life straightened out, and she got dried out, and she'd started working, taking responsibility for her life and everything. And she came to me and said, my uncle died. Would you do his funeral? I said, be glad to do his funeral. Well, he was 55, and he died from alcohol. He, that's exactly what it was. He was a good drunk. I mean, he was good at it. And uh, he had no children, no family, no anything and stuff. And so she asked me to uh, uh, do that uh, funeral. So I met with the family and found out he was a Cubs fan. Now, that doesn't mean too much to you, but in Illinois, outside of Chicago, Cubs, White Sox, I mean, it's black and white. It's a huge thing and stuff. So I go to this funeral, and... Uh, there's about 70 people, and me and this other, my wife dropped me off and uh, didn't stop, did not stay. I could have used some backup. <laughs> and uh, about me and 70 people and me and 70 drunks. Everybody in that place was drunk completely. You could smell it. It smelled like a beer, uh, uh, a beer hall type thing. And so uh, I'd start the whole thing, and I start off telling White Sox uh, Cubs jokes. And they think I'm hilarious. They, you have never laughed as hard as they have laughed at me. They thought I was amazing. You thought I was like Jerry Seinfeld, the greatest comedian ever or something. And they were like ready to hoist me up on their shoulders and carry me off to the bar and like, let's have one on the preacher. You know, they were just, they loved me and stuff. Now, a couple guys got up and spoke and they staggered. I had to help one guy as he's staggering and he's saying some stuff and told this story about stealing a bike with the dead guy and stuff. And he's laid out there in his Cubs jersey and stuff like that. So once all that stuff is done, I got up. I always talk about 10 minutes and stuff and I talk about Jesus and I, I talk about the deceased and some stuff. And I got up and I started quoting the Bible. They turned on me. They not only spiritually turned on me, physically turned on me. Uh, one guy in the back told me to shut up. Another guy in the front began using words that only sinners use and started saying this to me as I'm preaching. Another guy stood up and said, he didn't believe that. And I'm just going through it. And then while that guy stands up, another guy in the front gets up and goes, totally drunk. You can't talk to the preacher like that. You're out of here. <laughs> and I thought, and a ruckus was growing. I mean, there was about to be a brawl. And in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> I thought, I could add to it. I could throw a little gasoline on the fire that was about to spark. And I, That's right, you can't talk to me. Somebody get that guy. I could have easily, because a couple of them didn't like how I was being treated. They were, they were the minority and stuff. I was hoping they were the good fighters. But, and, uh, so that, no, and I said, no, no. And I thought, no, let's just, so I said, no, no. 
uh, I'm used to crying babies at our church. We have a nursery in the back, and I, I speak to crying babies all the time. I lessened it. Everybody sat down. And then in my mind, I thought, okay, just, I just cut my whole message short. I wanted to like go to uh, Proverbs 20, uh, verse 1, wine is a mocker, beer is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I wanted to start quoting verses like that, but I didn't. I'm like, just, just get out alive. They outnumber you. And, uh, and anyway, so anyways. So I just finished it, amen, went over there, and I stood by the funeral directors. They all walked out like I usually do. And uh, they all shook the funeral director's hand, and everybody gave me a dirty look. <laughs> Whatever. And then I had to walk out, because that's how the funeral home was designed out there. They're all out there smoking and talking. And I had to walk through. Have you ever seen, like, Cool Hand Luke when he walks through that thing? And everybody, I mean, that's what I was. I'm, like, walking through, and I'm like, all right. I fought drunk people before, but I've never fought 70, so let's see what happens. And my wife was not there. You know, she let me, she dropped me off, and I'm standing in the parking lot trying not to be murdered. But anyways, you know why I say that story? Because that is just what the world is like, isn't it? Chaos, confusion, violence. That, that atmosphere is how many, most homes in America operate how many relationships go, God is not the author of confusion. He is the giver of forgiveness. And if you're ever going to find peace on this earth and goodwill towards men, it starts with Jesus and it ends with us giving it to other people. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I would like you to do me a favor. The musicians come forward. Nobody's looking around. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Would you please, at this moment, everybody in here has someone. Come on. We all have somebody. Somebody you need to either start to forgive or maybe you need to do a better job. Would you think of that person? Some of these people have done horrible